Today, we talked to Hayden Hilke, doctor of physical therapy and owner of Peak PT. We jump back into concussions, why we should do pre-concussion testing, and who should have it. Kids who downhill ski, play hockey, and football for sure, but it would be a good idea for all the mountain bikers out there. We talk about Watershed Jackson, the nonprofit working with concussion testing in our valley, as well as her new venture, Kilter PT and Sports Performance, which will be going into the new sports complex south of town. Want to get amazing insights and perspectives from local health and fitness professionals here in Jackson Hole? This is the podcast, and I am your host, Dr. Laura Wright. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Health in the Hole. I am here today with Dr. Hayden Hilke, who's a doctor of physical therapy at Peak PT. Hayden, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? I am good. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you on finally as well. So let's get started. Thanks to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's start at the beginning. What led you to physical therapy and what brought you to the Tetons? Well, I guess like a, a lot of PTs, some empathetic ones, uh, I've been through a lot of injuries. Um, and so I, uh, had a long love affair with the Tetons from back when I was eight, I grew up in the Southeast and just never really felt quite home there Mm -hmm. and came out here when I was eight and realized that there was a whole big world, um, outside of my small world, uh, the city of Charlotte that I grew up in. And so just wanted to get back to Jackson as soon as possible. So started coming back out here during college and then moved out here after college. And, um, I've always been pretty accident prone. My mom is super accident prone. So I've, I'm no, um, stranger to broken bones. And I, one in particular, I was snowboarding with my brothers and somebody said last one down buys the beer or something. And, um, I remember thinking, gosh, if I wreck right now, I am done. And so of course I wrecked and just kind of demolished my upper humerus and watched this phase of a working shoulder dwindle to something completely unusable and completely atrophied. And, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, I was glad I didn't hit my head. I was okay. I was resolved to the fact that this was now my new functioning shoulder, but I was yeah. two and, um, or 23 and not really thinking outside of that life. And, um, <clears throat> it was more curious out of anything than, you know, more curious than anything. And I, had this incredible physical therapist here, Teresa Lynch. And she is, um, she's still a PT, but she works a lot with the American Physical Therapy Association. She's amazing. And uh, she was living here at the time in Jackson Hole and Mm -hmm. she rehabbed me back to full function. And I just thought that was the craziest thing. And so after that, I really um, decided that might be a career that I might be interested in because my mm-hmm. mom was harping on me because I was waiting tables kind of everywhere. Right. It's kind of like my story. I was here and yeah. then I went back to school. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, then I just kept getting injured and it was like, okay, I'm paying attention now. And so finally after the, you know, nth injury, I decided to kind of head back home like you did mm-hmm. and start prerequisites. And luckily 
got into PT school. So I felt very fortunate. Very cool. Are you still a snowboarder or are you a skier now? No. You are. Okay. I'm a travel skier. Yeah. Okay. That's not my thing. So I just found my community and found my group of people snowboarding and those people have never really changed. So, you know, I, almost a decade passed and I came back after PT school and was working here seasonally summers and winters and living in Charleston, South Carolina, spring and fall. And before we decided to move back full time and it was awesome, you know, so I could still progress my love for athletics and the human body through movement through my career. And then also have that outlet of snowboarding and hiking and all the friendships mm -hmm. that I made. So this has always been home more than any place on yeah. earth for me. And you were working for somebody else originally. And then when did you go off and start your own business? Yeah. So I worked seasonally at Four Pines and then mm -hmm. I worked full-time at Excel for two years and then started peak in 2013. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Just as like a one man shop, it was not anything with, um, nothing to speak of. I just decided to start doing my own thing and then just kind of grew from there, which is fun. It's been a fun awesome. journey. And do you guys have two locations now? We do. So we I didn't know about the second one until the other day at a patient coming. You'd seen someone there. Yeah, we, well, it, it all was kind of crazy. It all happened during COVID. Um, and we got a call from Crystal and she said, Oh, our space at beside my gym is going to be empty would you guys consider going in there? And, and we're going to go into Joe Rice's new indoor sport facility. And so I said, well, it might be a good timing for us to see if we can build up a patient caseload down South. And then, um, you know, seemed like a great idea at the time and COVID hit. <laughs> and then Crystal ended up moving, unfortunately. And so, um, you know, things just work out the way they're going to work out. And it, it actually did end up being the best thing because it really spread our staff out. Mm -hmm. So throughout COVID, we've been able to keep everybody on staff and just spread out and um, have a little space to move out of. So it's been fantastic, actually. And the community down there, like everywhere in Jackson, is amazing. So we've had a, we've had a great time in our space there. Now we're right. beside lots of kind of moving parts and construction, but people yeah. understand they make it work. And then Andrew Armington, who will also be coming into the indoor sport facility. He's upstairs with us okay. in Jess McMillan's old space. So it's been fun. And then Crystal's still right up the road. So yeah, keep it in the family. Awesome. And yeah. so then is there anything special about the way you practice PT or your specialty? So, you know, I think right now we have, um, there's six of us PTs and we have a student right now, seven. So, um, I think my, I guess my specialty would probably be at this point for sure concussion. Um, and back, um, I had a broken back. That was one of my injuries. And, mm -hmm. and so I'm, I'm interested in that and what people can do to not just, you know, for that to be a lifelong injury. Um, but I've, I've tried to really listen to my PTs and, and see where the interest is and listen to our patients and see where the need is. Mm -hmm. And we're teaming up um, currently with Chloe Lanthier from uh, the X training school in France. I've been working with her for over a decade. Um, she's an ultra runner for Patagonia Europe. And she, um, 
is really great at sports specific programming. So we as a clinic are under her guidance and we've also been working with several PPs from the US Ski and Snowboard team creating sports specific protocols so that we're really good at um, individualizing a person to the sport that they're interested in. Um, and, and that's you know really important to me. Um, I can't be all things to all people nor do I wanna be. Um, right. And I'm, I'm backing off of a lot of patient care um, so that my PTs can really do what they're good at, which is, you know, Cassie does a lot of running analysis. She works a lot with runners and Keith is a, um, he was a semi-professional dirt biker. So he understands that world really well. Yeah. So just having our whole clinic is going to work together to do, um, to understand the sport specific programming for each sport. Um, and so we're taking a little bit further from body part to also into function. Um, so I think our clinic does that well. Um, all the clinics here are fantastic, but we've tried to just set ourselves apart a little bit in the sport specific programming phase of things, especially as we move into this uh, new sport facility. I was going to ask, what do you know what sports are going into the new sports facility? Yeah. So um, Joe Rice, uh, when he, he has three daughters and all three of them were collegiate soccer players. And when he was, when they were youth athletes in Jackson, for them to get coaching um, at something that might be a pre-collegiate level, he would have to sometimes drive down to Salt Lake City in a day and he's busy and come back. Mm. Uh, he said sometimes at two in the morning with these sleepy girls in the back. Um, and he wanted to provide something for the community that would offer not only really high-end coaching, but also year-round greens so that even what I'm trying to push for is that the Jacksonville Ski Club and some of these other clubs can also do some year-round dryland training in this mm -hmm. indoor facility because we don't have anything big enough right now. Right now they're all working out of Snow King, which is great, but there's not room for everybody. So it's just going to be a great, um, you know, adjunct to our community. So what's going in there is they're going to be a full-size field, there's going to be a sport and agility speed track, not a full track, but a speed track. Mm -hmm. uh, there will be a concierge gym in there. We will be in there and there will be an MMA type gym in there. Right. And we're trying to think of a couple other features that are out mm -hmm. of the box for cross training purposes. Very cool. I think I'm going to have to get Joe Rice on to have him talk about it at some point yeah, as sure. well. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think really he's, cool. you know, he feels, um, it's so great what he's doing for the community, but I definitely think he's like, this is so different than restaurants. So I don't exactly know. Um, he's kind of assimilated a great team of people that he's known for a really long time. One of those uh, waiting tables jobs in my twenties was with Joe Rice. Awesome. <laughs> and awesome. so I've known him forever. So he, you know, brought together people that have been in that industry for a long time. And he's, you know, really trying to put something together that will benefit the community. And we're make, trying to make sure that it'll benefit um, lots of different youth athletics, not just field sports. So mm -hmm. I think it's going to be great. Cool. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the programs you've put together for the community. Mm -hmm. Watershed Jackson. Can you explain what it is? I've seen a presentation that you did with the library a couple years ago, but yeah. for everyone else who might not know and for all the details that I don't know, so Watershed Jackson started almost about the same time as that started peak. It is um, 
really it, it's to benefit athletes with traumatic brain and spinal cord injury, but it's more of a resource. So Teton Adaptive does what Teton Adaptive does really well, which is mm -hmm. to get spinal cord injured and TBI injured and anyone considered disabled into sports that they love to do. So they do that really well. Our job more is to uh, be a resource more for education. Um, and, and one of the things that came out of that was concussion baseline screens. So mm -hmm. I noticed that we were seeing a lot of kids that were having concussions, but there was no real plan for them. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I think is really important is that the way that athletes with a concussion used to be treated is that they would be told to sit in a dark room. And right. that was really detrimental to their neural system because that calmed down their neural system so much in the beginning, 20, you know, 24, 48 hours, that's okay. But after that, they, every time they came out of that dark room, they had this very hypersensitive response to external stimuli. So the new research that was coming out was if you exercise, if you retrain to, in order to get back to your baseline of function, your brain is, uses its neuroplasticity in order to get back to where you were at baseline. So baseline performance is really important. So that's one of the things that Watershed Jackson created was for our youth sports programs, let's do an actual clinical baseline that the healthcare mm -hmm. providers that are sometimes treating these post-concussive athletes can utilize in order to see, are we actually getting them back to their baseline or where are they? So we've done a pre-concussion screen in conjunction with St. John's Health. Um, mm -hmm. And St. John's Health has been really supportive in, um, because they have the resources in doing its due diligence to, all right, let's listen to what's out there. Let's really figure out what's in the literature and let's put together a cohesive and clinical baseline screen that can be replicated to other healthcare providers across the field. Mm -hmm. So we use something um, called a King Divic sideline concussion tool. It's backed by the Mayo Clinic. We use the King Divic balance tool we use a cognitive screen and then we use a visual ocular screen called the VOM screen. So we take those four, again, they can be replicated throughout other healthcare providers. And um, today was a perfect example. I had a mom call me who was concerned about her son and there's the baseline screen and, you know, very accessible to me. So I can really reassure her though. Yes, he, it is shown that he has had a mild sport concussion based on his preclinical baseline screen, he's going to do fantastic. And so we can compare him to him. And that's so yeah. important. before the gold standard and still in the high school and much of Jackson, the gold standard is what's called the impact test. And that's a test that, that because of marketing, a lot of people have heard of and because it's been around for a long time, but we don't have a, um, we don't really have a good neuropsychologist. We don't have a neuropsychologist in Jackson, but we don't have one that's following up on these kids and following up on their impacts in order to know if they have um, been able to go back to their baseline or if they are still um, having some deficits that are neurocognitive in nature. Mm -hmm. yeah. So what percentage of youth are getting the concussion test and where do they get it? They just get it when their parents take them in or is there a program yeah. at the school? That's a great question. So the clubs are really um, the ones that set up the screens with the 
physical therapy department at St. John's Health. And that's Margaret Blair. And she's been on here before and Chris mm -hmm. Smithwick. So Margaret's a physical therapist and Chris, Chris is a speech language pathologist. They're both very good at what they do. And so they've sort of spearheaded this, um, this team and they have a lot of resources there by way of volunteers who understand this clinical testing. Then they pull in people, PTs um, from each clinic and whoever wants to volunteer. So the people that have really been on board the most are Jacksonville Ski Club has been a supporter from the beginning. They're really involved in following protocol and having a, a way to protect their athletes, which I think is fantastic. And then the Jackson Hole Youth Hockey has been involved as well. So typically if your kid is an athlete in the Jackson Hole Ski Club, that is more racing oriented, higher level racing oriented or free ride oriented, kind of in these older kids age, um, they're going to set up those screens for you. Jacksonville Youth Hockey, the same. And Youth Hockey, we see a lot younger athletes in that club because it's just such a high-risk sport. So Jackson Hole Youth Soccer and Jackson Hole Lacrosse have also showed interest. So we're hoping that this spring, last year before COVID hit, that was really a lot of momentum was going for that. But this um, year, we're hoping to reinstate that momentum and hopefully we can get a bunch of kids screened through soccer and lacrosse this spring. So who would you recommend get screened? Like what ages and what sports yeah, ought question. to have a pre-concussion screen? Yeah, I, you know, I think 10 is a good age, especially with hockey. There's a lot of sports where 10, you know, the parents might think that's a little long, young, but the, the new guideline is that they really, for youth football programs across the country and youth hockey programs across the country, they really don't want any, head-to-head -head contact mm -hmm. before age 12. And that's a pretty good gold standard. So I think before, you know, typically people think, well, before 10, you're, you shouldn't really have, even before 14, you shouldn't have a lot of contact. But in this town, we do really with, with hockey, I'm seeing. So in, with youth hockey, I would say 10 and above should really be baseline screened each year. You need to rescreen it each year. They're affordable. Um, and then with other sports, lacrosse, soccer, I'd say in the 12 to 14 range, you want to start mm -hmm. thinking about that. And especially as they get higher level, um, you know, we still want to try and talk with the high school and see if we can't implement it with their football players and some of those more higher risk athletes. Yeah. And then in terms of adults, should adults be getting screened? Those of us who like mountain bike, dirt bike, ski? I think mountain biking is a huge one. It really is. We see so many, and wouldn't it be nice to know what your brain was doing prior to, mm -hmm. especially adults get really into the numbers. They get into the, the clinical presentation. And so it becomes something that they really want to translate back into their baseline. And, and I'd say, you know, without it, we're sort of comparing apples to oranges we can still glean some clinical information, obviously, from their evaluation. But if we have that baseline testing for someone that's in high-risk sports, like backcountry skiing, mm -hmm. um, people that are working in park and pipe, and like you say, mountain bikers and dirt bikers, that's really great information to know. So then we can just say, look, this is where you were before. This is what we want get to you, get you back to. And on that note, we are through Watershed Jackson Right now, we're working with a couple area athletes 
Again, this is something that COVID kind of took the wind out of the sails, but we're trying to bring it back where we have some great backcountry athletes in our community, as we all know. Mm -hmm. And some of them have been willing to wear some mouth guards by prevent biometrics. And those mouth guards measure linear and rotational velocity. There is a certain amount uh, when an athlete hits a velocity that it due to clinical data should trigger a concussion. Mm -hmm. So when they, and it's alerted, so it's in real time, you can just pull it up on your, on your phone. And then it's, we've got a master connection to this prevent biometrics company that we can see what happened as well in the field. And after they have had such a hit, then they can come right in and see if it did in fact trigger a migraine with our King Divic post-concussion baseline or post-injury uh, sideline tool. So that's kind of been a fun project that we mm-hmm. have really been trying to, to increase our sample size a bit, but also to work out some kinks and get that dialed in with some of these athletes that are really trying new tricks and filming Um, And we want to push that into the summer as well with some of our bigger dirt bikers and downhill mountain bikers, because so much happens. And, you know, honestly, when we talk to um, the, not search and rescue, but um, the ski patrol at the Mm -hmm. village, they say, you know, some of these injuries that they're seeing from downhill biking in that bike park are insane. And a lot of the people are visitors, so you don't hear about them. So a lot is happening in the way of brain injury, um, spinal cord injury too. And I I do want to give a shout out to Joe Stone, who just moved here. He'd be another great one for your podcast. He's working with Teton Adaptive Sport. And he's just such an incredible resource. His girlfriend is also a PT, Caitlin Ciccone. She works for Excel. And they're so good for... Um, having that resource in town. Um, Joe's in a wheelchair and he sees the world and sees our community from that perspective. And he's really working hard on um, garnering more accessibility for everyone in Jackson. So people on trails and, you know, people that might not have access before, he's really saying, let's open our eyes and let's gain more accessibility in our community. And I think what a gift that is to have that here. Very cool. Is there anything people can do to prevent concussions? I know like helmets, right? They have kind of a mix. They protect the head, but might, you know, do different things to the neck, neck strengthening. Mm-hmm. Well, so I was just on somebody today. They did a study on cervical stability and whether or not it would decrease. What they were looking at is the sheer force of the brain matter in the cranium, right? So, because if, if you have a coup contra coup event, which means the head moves forward, then back, then forward, then back, then forward, then back, then forward, but much as if you were in a car accident and you didn't mm-hmm. have a stop in the back of your head, it's different than just landing on ice, right? When it just stops. Yeah. It's worse. There's more sheer force. There's more bounce back and forth and before it settles. So they wanted to see if strengthening people's necks could decrease that sheer force and therefore decrease the severity of a concussion Mm -hmm. if one occurred. So they had mostly NFL football players strengthening their neck with 50 pound weights. So they had this halo and they would just strengthen their head with these 50 pound weights and they had these big old neck 
And what they found was if they could see the hit coming, it decreased that shear force by 40%. So, which is pretty dramatic. Mm-hmm. If not, then it did not do any difference. Makes but, sense. Um, but I think that that's an interesting thing to look at. So two things I always do first in an evaluation with cervical stability is I look at their deep neck flexors. So our upper cervical spine and our lower cervical spine have two different arthrokinematics, right? So if I flex my upper cervical spine, it glides back so that my head doesn't jut forward. But in my lower cervical spine, as I flex it forward, it glides forward so that I can see the world, right? So I think people forget that their upper cervical spine has that stability and they don't utilize it. And so we get really weak. The average person should be able to hold against gravity, that upper cervical spine endurance connection for at least 20 seconds. And usually what I see is about five seconds. Mm-hmm. And then they before, start shaking. Yeah, but they start shaking or their secondary muscles come in. Sternocleidomastoid's like, I got you. And we don't want that, right? Because then the scalenes come, become really tight and they increase the... Um, they, they pull up on the first rib. That first rib can cause thoracic outlet syndrome. It can cause neural tension. So we want to have a proper breathing pattern. We want to have that all can come from decreased stability at the upper cervical spine. Mm-hmm. So I work on upper cervical spine endurance and then cervical isometrics. You know, the spine has all these muscles and we don't strengthen the head. And so it's sitting on this really small vertebrae. And again, our secondary muscle groups come in to do the job of something that should be primary. So I like to really reinforce that, not that it's really gonna decrease your risk of having a concussion, but I think it can potentially, number one, potentially decrease the severity if you can see the incident coming. And number two, post-concussion, you have a more, you have better, awareness, neuromuscular awareness of that stability and that proprioceptive awareness of where your neck is in space, which is huge. Cause a lot of times some of the tests that we'll do are looking at visual ocular reflex and their heads like here and here, you know, you want it to be on this straight plane, the straight axis horizontally and vertically. And a lot of times we'll see either a, a right neglect or a left neglect, or we'll see this instability. And that always worries me a little bit because I think if, if they get hit again and that's a young kid and they're mm-hmm. already going into it with some cervical instability, then that's a potential sign for some ligamentous laxity. And you just don't want that in your cervical spine, especially around here when you are having these drops on a mountain bike or on your skis or these whiplash events, even just walking in a parking lot and slipping on ice. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as, as far as preventing concussions, it's hard to prevent a concussion, but I do really urge people to weigh out risk versus reward, especially if something's happened, um, you know, and, and return to sport. That's always my, my question. What is the reward here versus the risk? If they are really going back into, if they're going back into Nordic skiing, the exercise is more important than the, the reward from exercising is is outweighing that risk. Mm-hmm. But something like hockey, well, yes, they need to exercise for sure. They need to oxygenate their brain. They need to move. They need to use that neuroplasticity and return to baseline. But is for a 10-year-old or an 11-year-old, and, and you know, sorry, I know that I will upset a lot of hockey parents out there, and I get that. 
but if if a child is 10 or 11 and they've they've had a mild sport related concussion i realize that that big game with rock springs is the following weekend but the risk outweighs the reward to mm-hmm. me at that point so that's where we really talk about decreasing your risk of concussion or avoiding further concussion concussions happen they are part of our culture it it does not by any means to me deter a child or an adult from playing a particular sport but you have to be smart especially when an event has occurred Mm -hmm. so that's my soapbox on that awesome (laughs) are there any other like misconceptions about concussions or spinal cord injuries that you'd like to just clear up for everyone yeah I think the biggest misconception for me still is that sitting in a dark room Mm -hmm. scenario you know I mean you imagine if you are if you're always following a concussion in a dark room again one or two days is not, not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is past that two weeks. And then you want to go see a movie and that movie has surround sound and really action packed bright lights. Your neurological system is not going to be able to handle it because you've decreased your sensitivity. You've decreased your threshold. Plus if you're always in a dark room, you haven't trained your body to take in dual tasks. Plus you haven't oxygenated your brain. So there's, there's a lot, there's, there's really no science out there that says after 48 hours that sitting in a dark room Mm -hmm. is beneficial. Now they're saying, you know, neither is redlining your symptoms, but now they're saying if you can exercise and, and we can prescribe that. There's a guy out there named John Letty. He's awesome. Um, and he created the Buffalo concussion treadmill test where you very methodically put someone in a treadmill and you find out what their new heart rate is based on their symptom provocation. And based on that heart rate, that's how we prescribe exercise. So exercise can be scri- prescribed very safely following a concussion, which just helps to re-regulate your autonomic nervous system, which is often affected in a concussion. And it helps to oxygenate the brain and it helps to increase blood flow throughout your body. Mm -hmm. So it has very, very positive responses to a concussion and just promotes healing and decreases the time that it takes in order for people to recover. So I, you know, really don't fall into the category of, oh, they just got their bell rung. And I really don't fall into the category of, oh, they're going to get CTE, I fall into the middle of let's look at risk versus reward. And let's Mm -hmm. really work on getting that person back to their individual baseline. So that's why I really promote the baseline testing, but also, you know, what did you do before? Let's get you back to that. To me, there's no reason to think, I mean, and we're talking about mild to moderate Mm -hmm. concussions here. We're not talking about moderate to severe traumatic brain injury, but mild to moderate concussions, Often there is an underlying ocular deficit following a concussion where the eyes don't move symmetrically or there's some psychotic pursuits and that can be fatiguing when someone reads, for instance, Mm -hmm. 
that's, you know, one of those things where I just think, let's, let's work on that. Let's go to an ocular specialist, or there's some things you can work on at home. And if you know knowledge is power, then you can work on these things and get them better. That doesn't happen in a dark room. That happens with hard work and it happens with, with understanding which trajectory you, you are on. There's seven of them and those are mostly clinical, clinically based. And what are so, the trajectories? So there's the autonomic nervous system that I just talked about, okay. the visual ocular that I just talked about. There's a balanced trajectory. Oftentimes you'll hear people have balanced deficit following a concussion. Mm-hmm. There's the cervical spine, obviously, that happens following a whiplash injury or traumatic hit. Yeah. Uh, there's a migraine trajectory. Sometimes people with or without an underlying migraine disorder that can be made a lot worse with concussion. Mm-hmm. So those are all pretty clinically based in, in um, treatment. And then the two that are not so clinical for my scope of practice are the cognition, you okay. know, be a speech language pathologist for that, or someone that works in behavioral health and then the anxiety and mood right, trajectory, okay. which again would be behavioral health or neurology based. And someone might have any of those seven. They might all. have two, they might have seven. Okay. You got it. Each one is going to be different and it's not predictable based on uh, the method or the injury itself. Very interesting. Yeah. It's cool. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say, I've, I've had one concussion and I'm just like, Oh yeah. I had some of those things and right. it was, yeah, it was a good experience and a good is. learning experience. I'd say the neurologist I work for, he always says, you know, think about it as a stoplight. There's red, there's yellow and there's green. If you're always in the green, you're just going to stay in the green. If you're mm-hmm. always in the red, you're, you're, not going to be comfortable and you're going to really crave that, um, that dark room. And that's not good either, but where you want to be is just right into that yellow being able to calm yourself back into the green. So if you push yourself into the yellow where maybe that's a little bit, um, you know, uncomfortable, but you want to get back to socializing with friends. You want to be able to go into a grocery store with fluorescent lighting and lots of things going on and people moving around you. You want to go ski again where there's trees mm-hmm. moving and you, you might have some vision motion sensitivity um, to just stay in the green all the time. You're not going to be able to get back to that. But if you move into that yellow and you start bringing those factors in and then you work on your balance at the same time, and then maybe you turn the light on and the music on, and then somebody quizzes you while you're moving your eyes from side to side or your head from side to side, then you can predict a little bit how your body's going to respond to those certain situations. So a lot of times, you know, if if somebody needs to go um, on a plane, then we talk about, okay, if you've ever noticed an airport, think about the Salt Lake City airport. There's those weird fluorescent things as you walk on the highway that are ding, 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 ding. And there are all these different fluorescent lights. Mm -hmm. Floors moving. The other floor is some crazy carpet that has this pattern on it it is super noxious stimuli for yeah. following a concussion. And a lot of airports are like that. They're very busy. So it's busy people and then there's busy flooring and then there's busy escalators and there's busy stuff on the walls. And so we work with that. Okay, you gotta, go, you gotta get on a plane. So let's like really shake up your environment. Let's work with your visual ocular reflex. Let's work with your vision motion sensitivity. Let's work with your depth perception. Let's quiz you at the same time. Let's turn the music on. Let's, you know, Let's mess with your external stimuli so it, the predictability is there. So then yeah. work on that autonomic nervous system and calming their system down back into the parasympathetic. 
Yeah. That's why I've, I've, yeah, I've, no, I've, I've sent a bunch of people to concussion therapy here to you and Margaret um, and they, they never really enjoy it. And I see yeah. why. Right. Exactly. Because they are, yeah, kind of getting pushed to their limits. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your new project, the Kilter yeah. PT and sports performance. What is it? When is it opening? You said you're focused on prehabilitation. What does that word mean? Why is it so important? So Kilter Physical Therapy is our new um, business model that will be going into this indoor sport facility. So into an indoor sport facility, I wanted to be a little less rehab oriented and a little more prehab oriented. So we will have still that rehab component of physical therapy. It's going to be a physical therapy clinic. However, it's also going to be physical therapy and sport performance. So this is where that um, education comes in with particular sports and how to rehab the individual based on the mechanics per sport, but also we're doing orthopedic baseline. So my purpose or my hope in this new business is just creating a model that says, let's not just wait till people get injured. Let's look mm-hmm. at their orthopedic baseline. Let's see where they are coming off of a ski season and going into a trail running season. Mm-hmm. They're different sports. They have different mechanics. So let's see, let's look at potential injury possibilities. And let's see if we can't predict them and say, Hey, based on this output, because of your orthopedic baseline, let's see if we can't keep you from, um, rolling your ankle because your ankle's super unstable. And I can see that in the way that you're performing. What we're doing is we're utilizing these dual force plates by Hawken dynamics, and they use about 48 different metrics to measure different jumps and different isometric holds. So we'll put someone on a jump and it's been really fascinating. So you can take a counter movement jump, for example, and I've taken two young kids, 18 years old in the Alpine ski program, and they jump side by side and their jumps look completely different. And so one may have, uh, you can look at the unweighting phase and through the propulsive phase and see where their strengths are and where their weaknesses are, how high they're able to jump, what their force output is, what their endurance is, what their stiffness is, what the difference is between right and left extremity. So from that, we can glean a lot of information. Hey, you are really ignoring this right lower leg. What happened? And if you don't get that down and you want to start trail running, you're really looking at some potential for injury here. So mm-hmm. we can try our best to, to get a little predictability. And again, knowledge is power. So we can get those individuals um, to learn a little bit more about their own individual body. You know, I can't, I can take a protocol, the same protocol from a physician post-surgery, and it's going to look different for each individual based on have they been injured before, what age they are, male or female, what sports they do in the off season what injuries they've had before. So Mm -hmm. all of that, I think, um, really needs to be individualized. And with a, with an orthopedic baseline, again, just like that concussion baseline, if somebody does get injured, then we can compare them. Where were you before? I want this output the same. So after you're done with this rehab, your output needs to be the same, if not better than it was before. Let's prevent this from happening again. And so instead of just saying, Hey, you look good to go ski based on jumping on one leg, We've had, we've done that before. And it's been really interesting now to put them on the force place and say, oh my gosh, I really thought you looked great yeah. on your single leg hop. And now I'm looking at your single leg hop on this leg compared to this leg. And maybe if they're jumping, uh, one thing we'll do is we'll say, how many times can you jump laterally in 20 seconds? 
left leg versus right leg. And so they can get within one. And so that's clinically significant. That's clinically, I can say, you look good. We want to be with a 90%. You mm -hmm. look good enough to be able to return to your sport of skiing. Well, these force plates would say differently. And they're showing us a lot of different metrics. And so sometimes we're missing things like um, stiffness of the ankle. And if your ankle's really stiff, that's really going to have an effect on your knee. And so mm -hmm. we're, you know, we can see re-tears from that. Nice. So, you know, just um, again, that, you know, people can come in after this indoor sport facility is built and kilter goes in there. People can come and get a full evaluation. Hey, I, I've pain or no pain, injury or no injury. Mm -hmm. I want to have a full evaluation. I want to bill insurance, or they can just say, you know what? I just want uh, an orthopedic baseline. I want to pay you out of pocket. I'm not exactly sure what that's going to look like. It's going to be somewhere around $75. Okay. I want to pay you out of pocket. And I want you to have that information stored. I want your suggestions of three or four exercises that I can do that are going to help me based on what you find in that mm -hmm. baseline assessment. And you know, I'll come back if I need you. Yeah. That sounds like a deal for $75. So, yeah, so. <laughs> what, what's the time frame on you guys going in there and it getting so, finished? Well, you know how building is in Jackson. Right. Especially right now. Yeah. Winter's along. Um, they're at the pouring concrete phase now that spring is trying to rear around here. Um, but we're hoping end of the summer early fall at the latest. Awesome. Yes. So it'll be exciting. So I'm hoping that we can really roll out, especially for these youth sports teams and for people getting ready for ski season, that we can really be set up and ready for that. Because I think it's important to have that dialed in for the community. Mm -hmm. How do people find you and work with you and, or your team in the meanwhile, and kind of follow what you're doing as, as culture opens up? So right now we are, um, Instagram peak physical therapy. We will be kilter PT on social media. Mm -hmm. We will be kilterpt.com Once our website is up and running, we're working with branding on all of that content. So I'm hoping in the next couple months or so, we will be really unleashing unloading that website so people can know more about the specifics. We just had a kind of staff photo shoot the other day, which is hilarious, just jumping around. And um, so we've got some content. We're working on it. We're also working on an app that will be really specific per sport so that again, when someone comes in, I can say, all right, Laura, you want to get back to trail running after having this cute spring baby. And this is what I'm seeing based on your orthopedic baseline. These are the exercises I want you to work on. And I'll just ding, ding, ding in our app that are really different. They're, they're a little more outside the box of your normal physical therapy exercises. We'll have some of that um, typical stability stuff as well and strength, but just to kind of think a little bit differently based on sports specific strength and stability, functional strength. Um, and so all of that we're hoping will be kind of ready to go this summer. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. But until then you can find us at peak physical therapy, both in Wilson and in the South clinic. Awesome. And then just last question in your own health journey, what one habit or change has been most impactful or transformative for you? 
for me, my body's been through a lot. I mean, two babies, early, men, early perimenopause, uh, lots of injuries. Um, I would say I've just actually, it's funny you ask this because I've been on this really scientific journey in the last two years of me and my middle age femaleness mm-hmm. <laughs> and what it takes to kind of lose weight and strengthen and what that looks like. And so my advice for that is that, again, it really needs to be individualized. So one, I've, I've sought out um, the advice from nurse Georgie McNiff. She'd be another good one to, to get on your thing. Mm-hmm. She is, she has some products outside of medicine wheel wellness called Oxtox. And she um, is just a wealth of knowledge she just moved into town recently and she looked at my blood. Cause I said, you know, it's, for me, it's hormonal that I've been, I've had hormonal migraines before and they were exercise induced. So I had to be really careful. And I was like, I really want to want to understand that and how to have more control over me. Mm-hmm. So she put me on a specific for me and based on the, my goals, my personal goals of what I was looking for, um, a little bit of a kind of nutritional kick in the pants and it was fantastic. And so, um, I think for me, I think you have to really find out what's, because I, you know, I was going to try to get my husband to do the same thing. I was like, let's do this together. And I was like, you can't do this. This is all hormonal based. It, his would be totally different. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think finding the thing individually based on your individual goals is important finding that right person to work with is important. And also I would finally say, really don't limit yourself. I mean, I feel like at 45, almost 46, I'm an April baby too, that I can do things, do whatever I want to do, you know, and I feel very fortunate. I've worked very hard for that, but I think there's really no limit in, we put the limits on ourselves. And if I was really honest with myself, I wasn't as active as I was earlier. And I wanted to change that and changing that didn't make me weaker. It made me stronger. And I think that's such a great thing as we age that it's, we really don't have to accept things just because we are aging. Mm -hmm. It only enhances our aging if we are able to strengthen our bodies and move our bodies in the way they were intended. Again, it's just like the brain. If we stop and we put it in and we sit there and put it in a dark hole, then our body is going to respond to the forces that we place upon it. So if we, if we place that force upon our body, that's what it's going to respond to. If we Mm -hmm. place the force in our body that I want to get outside, I want to climb mountains. I want to continue to ski. I want to continue to run and strengthen and prepare my body for that. And for the sports that I want to do individualistically and based on my past and my present and my future, then we can really achieve those goals. I really truly believe that. Awesome. Hayden, thank you. Thank you so much for your time and that information. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening to Health in the Whole. If you liked it, please subscribe so you can hear the next episodes. And remember, this podcast is not medical advice. Consult your healthcare provider before doing anything drastic.